Welcome to Alex and Annie, the real women of vacation rentals. With more than 35 years combined industry experience, Alex Husner and Annie Holcomb have teamed up to connect the dots between inspiration and opportunity, seeking to find the one story, idea, strategy, or decision that led to their guests' big aha moment. Join them as they highlight the real stories behind the people and brands that have built vacation rentals into the $100 billion industry it is today. And now, it's time to get real and have some fun with your hosts, Alex and Annie. We'll start the show in just a minute, but first, a word from our premier brand sponsor, Casago, and co-sponsors, Guest Ranger and Good Neighbor Tech. Casago's founder, Steve Schwab, has been quoted as saying, you can only be a local in one place. This simple yet profound statement is the basis of Casago's franchise model, which allows locally owned vacation rental management companies the ability to compete at a national level by leveraging the systems, software, and support, the buying power of a much larger organization. As a Casago franchisee, you have the freedom to run your business with the support of a community of like-minded professionals while leveraging the economies of scale and buying power to increase profitability and reduce operating costs. Guest Ranger is the premier guest screening and chargeback protection solution. Leveraging AI, their tool effectively detects fraudulent activity, fake IDs, and underage guests while also performing comprehensive dynamic background checks. With Guest Ranger, businesses can rest assured that their customers are safe and secure. Good Neighbor Tech allows you to manage your properties remotely and intelligently, protecting your owners and your guests. Their smart Wi-Fi locks allow you to provide temporary access to home and garage from anywhere and keep track of when guests and service providers are in the property. Good Neighbor Tech provides the ability for you to collect email addresses from all guests staying in a property, not just the one who booked the reservation. Every guest who connects to the internet will see your branded welcome page and be prompted to provide their email address in order to connect to the Wi-Fi. Visit casago.com forward slash franchise, guestranger.com, and goodneighbortech.com for more information. So today's session is top tips for building a sustainable brand with Alex and Annie of the Real Women of Vacation Rentals podcast. We appreciate your presence and we're thrilled to have you join us today. My name is Dana and I'm with Rent Responsibly, and I'm excited to be your facilitator for today's session. Well, thank you so much, Dana. We're so excited to be here today. And um, as as Dana said, Annie and I, we are Alex and Annie, the real women of vacation rentals. Um, I'm also a CMO with Casago, and Annie is uh, director of business De- development for Merit Homes and Villas. <laughs> so we're excited to be here, and we have two amazing guests with us: Pete DeMeo, COO of Travel Boom, and Stuart Butler, CMO of Visit Myrtle Beach. So branding is something that you know we talk a lot about on our podcast, and um, you know something that really needs to be at the forefront of anybody in vacation rental in any type of business within this spectrum. But especially as things continue to become uh, more competitive, you know, the last few years, it's been easy just to get bookings on Verbo and Airbnb. And now we're starting to see that, you know, having a brand actually is what you fall back on when that demand softens and supply just rises and you've actually really got to go compete for bookings. So today we're going to talk about how to build a sustainable vacation rental brand and what that really looks like, you know, how that uh, affects the future of your company and uh, the market that you you operate in. 
So, uh, Stuart, I think we, yesterday we, we were able to kind of get a sneak peek on some of the ideas that you and, and Pete wanted to share. But I think one of the things that we really wanted to start with was kind of the foundational um, starting point for anybody building their business. And wanted to turn it over to you. And you had some really great tips of things that you think people need to take into consideration. Again, when they're starting their brand and building it for that long term sustainability and, and multi generational handoff that we see a lot of these businesses do. Yeah, so so the the first thing I wanted to talk about is this concept called cathedral thinking. It's it's not a new concept. It's been around certainly in the travel space for decades now. But it, it's it's the thought that when hundreds of years ago, when cathedrals were were built regularly, it wasn't one group of people that built the cathedral. It would take multiple generations, sometimes a hundred plus years from start to finish. But but it started with a blueprint. It started with a foundation that you could build upon, and so. You knew that whether it was multiple generations of, of builders or multiple generations of, of the clergy at that cathedral, you still had the, the end goal in mind. You could pivot a little bit as you went along, but the foundation that you laid was thinking about what things looked like 5, 10, 20, 50, 100 years down the line. So for me, when you're starting with a brand, you, you obviously want to be thinking about the here and now, have one eye present on what you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, the block and tackle stuff, but you need the other eye looking on the horizon and saying, what's coming next? What's going to change? What's not going to change? What are the things I want to be a long time from now? And so that that gives you the freedom to think bigger than, than you can. It, it, it's easy to, to say and get overwhelmed on what you can accomplish in the next day or week or month or even year. But when you start saying, well, what can I do in the next decade? Often we underestimate what we can accomplish in that kind of a time frame. So we at Visit Model Beach, obviously we have a brand that is um, important to a lot of people. You know, Model Beach is a destination, transcends just travel. It's it's a part of their DNA. And so we, we try to be really good stewards of that. Like, what does the brand represent? What does it stand for? Who do we stand with? And obviously that evolves as we go along, but we're always doing it not just on what the latest craze is, what the, the next fad is. We're really thinking about what is this going to look like tomorrow and the next day and the next year? Stuart being the that. good steward. <laughs> you are all stewards I, of our brains, right? For sure. Right. <laughs> hey, uh, Pete, I'm curious for your take on, on what Stuart just said and what happened, you know, I mean, looking back three, five years ago for companies that maybe did not have that, you know, forward thinking, infinite mindset of where they needed to be right now what's happened, you know, like if, if they did not start thinking about building the brand and, and that long-term thinking, where are you seeing those types of companies today? The ones from several years ago that didn't do that, you're not seeing them at all. And I think that oh. that is kind of the point that sort of made is if you don't build that fantastic foundation and you're always reactive to the latest market, you know, hiccup or trend or pandemic, whatever it might be, if you don't set up for a higher purpose and have that cathedral thinking, you're going to, in many cases, go into a shell when things get hard. And when you do that, your com- competitors are going to go bypass you. You know, so I think one of the biggest things to take away there is to create that higher purpose and to have the, the methodology of saying, okay, we're going to be here when this is over. So what do we need to do during any given time to make sure that we're not just surviving, we're actually thriving in those you know, difficult times that were in the past and may come in the future. So moving, so moving on, um, you know, you, you, you get this foundation, you're 
you know, using your cathedral thinking, what do you think are the, are the, the main points that people really need to focus on? I think um, over COVID, one of the things that we really focused on was technology and some people that are starting out in the industry, they're not thinking long-term about that technology. They're thinking about, well, I can just put it up on Airbnb or VRBO. And I don't need to worry about the fundamentals because the bookings are coming through that channel. I don't need to worry about if I add more units, I can keep continually adding to that. But I think that people need to step back and there's there's some things that they need to think about in terms of their marketing and, and what that brand looks like to the consumer and how it how it has room to breathe and grow. So what do you think are some fundamentals that people need to, to have in line when they start? Yeah, I, I wish we had Southwest Airlines on, on this uh, conversation. <laughs> we'll get them next they're, time. <laughs> they're taking some interesting hits on that right now, right? Because they, yeah. they did invest in infrastructure and technology the right way. And um, I, I think for me, it's important that you start by thinking about the consumer first, right? Your customer is is everything. And, and, and if you make decisions through the lens of, is this good for my customer? A lot of other things sort of fall in place. And so, Thinking about reducing friction and booking process, thinking about how can I communicate with that customer if I'm cut off from them, if if I don't have the money to to spend on an OTA or a third party or something like that. So I think that's the, that's the rubric through which you want to make decisions is, is this good for the customer? What's in the customer's best interest? I think if you start there, a lot of the other stuff sort of... Um, begins to take shape. The other thing to think about is, okay, what what's fixed now related to our relationship with the customer? What's not? What's going to change, right? So things like technology can change. We're seeing that right now, especially with AI. I was at a conference last week and, and someone on stage asked, um, it, was, it was about 300 destination marketing organizations. And someone asked the question, how many in the, in the room have played around with ChatGPT? Every single hand in the room went up. Right. This is the fastest technology adoption we've seen in the history of humanity, faster than Facebook, faster than TV, faster than the Internet, faster than radio. It, it's it's going to be a game changer. And, and even we're seeing on a, on a weekly basis, there's new announcements coming out like Auto GPT came out a week or so ago. And it's it's just added tremendously. So you've got to take into account that certain things are going to change, but your fundamentals, your, your priorities of your brand about how you treat your customers, how you treat your staff, what what our commitment is to the quality of the product. Those things, regardless of technology, should never change. So you want to start by saying, what are the things we stand for? What are our values? What are the things that we're going to prioritize? Not my phrase, but it's one I love, where focus goes, energy flows. And this is you have to decide, what are your focus points? Where are the places we're going to put our energy every day? Because if you get that that right, like cleaning the rooms, right? Like customer service and customer experience. If those are your core values that you're going to put all your energy into, you're going to be fine as technology changes, as as consumers change and things like that. So really write a list down. What are the things that will change? What are the things that won't change? What are the things we're willing to be flexible on? What are what are our immutable things that we will not ever move on? So that that's a good place to start, I think. Well, you know, and Stuart, I think that goes to the fact that technology is the conduit to what you actually offer. You know, yep. if, if a hotelier, if your vacation renter, wherever that might be, at the end of the day, you're about delivering amazing experiences and amazing memories to your guest. And that means going 100% in to being the best hotelier you can be, the best innkeeper. Think of it from that perspective. And I always go back to the way Starbucks hands you your coffee. They don't say number 247. They say, 
Alex, here's your coffee. Enjoy this. You just paid nine dollars. Why are they, are they saying Alex? Here's your coffee. When your name's Pete, <laughs> I always <laughs> his name uh, for anonymity. Small uh, details. <laughs> but but you know when you think about it from that perspective is if you can create they say there's one hundred you know thousand true fans if you can become something that people look forward to regardless of the technology that you use to find you they're looking for you you're not just the the product that Chat GPT spits out. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're the destination that they're seeking to find. When you become a power brand, people will drive farther, they'll wait longer, and they will pay more for what you have. And that's, I think, we can all think of brands in our lives that fall into that category. Um, I mean, if somebody were to be starting to think about this at this point, you know, there are so many things that we don't know about the future with Chat GPT and. I mean, of course, it's something that we know is going to help in a lot of different ways, but we don't know the effect of what it's going to have in the long term um, on, on websites and where this goes, and it's probably going to grow significantly. But how do you how do you not get so bogged down in worrying about whether or not you're making the right decision on specific items like ChatGPT and still keep your head above the clouds? Like, do you have any advice on on that? On that side. Yeah, I, I think you've got to control what you can control and then mitigate mm-hmm. risk of the stuff you can't, right? And so what you can control is the, the guest experience. So at the end of the day, we're in the hospitality business and the human experience that someone has is the most important piece of your brand, right? You, mm-hmm. you really can try to control your brand, but at the end of the day, you don't. The consumer controls your brand. Their perception is the reality of the brand. And we've seen that sort of exacerbated with social media over the last decade or so, right? It's you, you can you can lose your 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 supporters really quickly with one bad decision, um, and then it takes a long time to to build that back. So I think focusing on on the quality of the product, you know, investing in the product, investing in your team, investing in training, investing in the, the touch points that you have, the human touch points you have with people, and that the technology there to reduce friction. I think that's the priority because if we if we spend all our time worried about the technology of today, we're going to get left behind. There's a story that a lot of speakers use about London in the early 1900s. I'll forget the specific details, but somewhere around 1910, 1912, the most, um, the biggest challenge facing the city of London was the number of horses and carriages. It was creating two issues. One was all the, all the waste coming out of these horses and having to clean that up. <laughs> the other is they were running out of space for stables. And so they were having to have this, they were creating these massive um, ecosystems around shipping horses in and out of the city of London every day. And so the, the mayor and all the, the, the city government were focused on this problem. And then a year or two later, the automobile came along and fundamentally reduced the need to do anything with horses. The number of horses dra- dropped dramatically overnight. And so the, the most pressing issue went from being all they could talk about to, to an afterthought. And we could be at that that kind of a, a inflection point here with the travel industry. We've seen such an acceleration of human-computer interaction through AI, and we're really close to where the, when this gets cobbled together, which could be within 12 months, we could be in a conversational transaction landscape where instead of people going to a website or multiple websites and making a ton of in individual research decisions on their own, a lot of that could be automated and, and they could be literally talking to a computer. And, and two years ago, I would have said that's a decade away. 
Today, I think that's a year or two away. I think I think for some of the early adopters, that's the reality. And so that's scary for small mom and pops, right? Because you, you have no idea how you're going to get on that. What I will say is because technology is accelerating so quickly and because it's actually a lot, lot less complex than people thought it was going to be to get to this point, the cost and barrier to entry is a lot lower and the, the cost of switching technology is going to be a lot lower. So I think if you look at the hotel in, industry as an example, we've had these legacy PMSs for, and the same with the vacation rental space, we've had these legacy PMSs for a long time that have had their claws in everything. I don't think that's going to be the case in the next few years. I think there's going to be new technology that comes yeah. that people will be able to switch to fairly easily because a lot of the complexity of that is going to be automated through AI. So um, yeah, we're, we're at the precipice of a major sea change in, in how we do business. You know, sir, I think that's that. where you really need to make sure that you know who your guest is and you're not just a product at the end of Expedia's pipeline or yeah. Airbnb's pipeline, making sure that you have that one-to-one relationship with your guest. Right now it's email. That is still one of the best ways you can communicate with your existing guest. But as AI comes online, as and chat GPT is just an instance of you know, GPT right. and AI, but think about us being able to finally achieve personalization in mass. I think that's what it's going to get to. But to do that, you have to first know who that guy is staying in room 204. If you don't know that, all this other stuff really doesn't matter. And I think getting to that point where you can talk directly to your customer, you can start building that one-to-one relationship, whatever happens from a technology perspective, you're going to be able to continue to update that user's profile in your systems so you can communicate with them you know, right now via email or SMS or social, create the audiences from a search perspective to, you know, hologram communications or whatever comes down the road that you don't know yet. You're building that infrastructure. And like Stuart talks about, you're building that foundation of a cathedral and you don't know what the, the pinnacle of that's going to actually look like. Yeah. Do you think, um, going back to the, the chat, I'm really weirded out by the whole AI, the chat GPT. I think it's cool technology, but it, it kind of freaks me out. Um, but what I, what I think about is, you know, a big topic within our industry is the trust. And, you know, you, you work with a vacation rental manager and not with a channel or not with, you know, allowing a channel to own, you know, your, your, all your distribution, because you can build trust with your guest and trust with your consumer. Do you think that being able to customize to, to Pete, to your point, to be able to customize that communication down to the specifics of a guest. And I think of um, Virgin um, Hotel Group has done a really good job with um, their customization with a guest. So when you, you, you go to stay at a hotel, you've given them all the things that you like and they built a persona out for you within like their app. So when you book a reservation, they know that when Pete's coming in this persona with his wife, they like to go to these type of restaurants and they make recommendations for that. So do you think that the ability to customize by guest is going to detract from or help build trust down the road? It's going to build trust when you do it the right way. You know, there's the, the right way. And then there's the example of uh target. This is over a decade ago where they had a really impressive personalization platform that was based on looking at the buying habits of the user and seeing them recommendations right up. It was great right up until the point where they were sending, I think a 16 year old girl, uh, prenatal tools, you know, like, you know, oh, so it was her dad. Remember what the daughter was buying. And then the right. dad got the mailing saying that they're recommending like baby strollers and things yeah. like that. Oh. The AI knew 
that the daughter was fooling around before the dad did. And it got to the point where it showed that creepy side of AI where we don't necessarily want to share all this stuff. Right. So using it the right way is incredible. You know, another example is of the right way is right now, a lot of Arby's in California, they use a AI chat system to handle their drive-through orders. So the, mm-hmm. when you make the order and the, the thing talks back to you, you don't realize that that's not the person that's handing you your food at the drive-through window. You, that is that where you can kind of mesh in the AI and the chat components of it. And the customer doesn't realize. They just realize they're getting great service, which at the end of the day, that's all we all care about anyway, right? Don't yeah. show us how the sausage is made so much. Right. And the technology is just, just, just tools, right? And they, they'll they the tools will change. I think what we've got to really focus on is, is why we're doing what we're doing and what it is specifically we're going to do. The how how we do it. That that will always continue to change, but you got to make sure you're solid on the why. So, um, yeah, why do we personalize? Because we want to build a great relationship with with the consumer. Well, what, what are we doing to personalize that? You know, how to what level? Because Pete's right. You can you can do it the right way, and it's invisible. The technology should be invisible to the consumer, whatever the technology is, and should feel like it's helping, not selling. Should feel like it's natural, as if you were having a conversation with with a guest, as if they were in front of you. Um, but but you, if you mess up the implementation, the execution of that, it can have catastrophic impacts. Like I mean, Pete gave some great examples of that. But but you can even go to simple ones like you, we've all seen emails where it says dear first name in angled brackets right because it was meant to insert your name but it didn't it it it, it it's obvious that you're hacking it so what what we've got to decide as an as an individual business is where's my tolerance for scale because we can automate and get more scale in terms of the volume of people we talk to and how we talk to them and how we personalize versus how much do I want to keep the personal touch? How how do I want to? How do I? How much do I want this to feel white glove? And the, and there's a dis, disparity between those two right now, but but I will say that gap is closing every day. It's going to be easier every single day from here on out to appear to be given that white glove kind of a, a, a value prop without actually having to do the, the laborious stuff towards it. So you've just got to decide where you are on that scale right now. Like, do I want to use technology? to automate this and just go for broke and just do it for everyone and to what degree, or do I want to keep that sort of personal connection? There's a market for both. I think you as a business owner or as a manager and operator have to decide what, what is your specific brand? You know, how, where do you stand on that scale? And you had mentioned earlier or touched on company culture and how that's important in this process. Would you say that part of defining your culture is, answering that question first internally for yourself yeah, and your team? 100%. You, your team has to know what you stand for as a brand. They have to be living, breathing versions of what you have on paper. And so you've got to decide what that is. You've got to communicate it. And more importantly, you've got to get buy-in and, and make sure that it isn't just lip service, that people aren't just um, going through the, the, the motions of it, right? We've seen people... Um, to try to emulate what Chick-fil-A does. You know, when you say thank you at Chick-fil-A, everyone will say my pleasure and, and you'll get degrees of it. But you do genuine generally feel like that person isn't just saying it because they've been trained to say it, that they, they 
you know, they're trained from the very beginning on the culture that the guest is important. You should, you should appreciate the guest. There are others that just go through the motions and it, it doesn't, doesn't really work. So you've got to make sure that from the top to the bottom, your culture is something that you live and breathe every day. And in, in order to do that, you've got to define it because clarity of purpose is the most important thing when it comes to culture. If people know why they're coming in every day and what difference they're making individually and what they're contributing to the whole, that's when people are going to step up and give that extra 10 or 20 or 30%. And, and the customer will feel that. They'll feel the the, the genuine nature of your, your team that actually enjoy what they do, believe in what they do, and, and feel like they're making a difference. I think one of the things I've learned in in my career is that when you work for an organization that understands that they have an external and an internal customer and yep. they they read their customer reviews internally as much as they do externally and really really drive the point home that you know they need that feedback they need to engage with that internal customer in order to create raving fans and if you can create raving fans on the inside you can create raving, raving fans on the outside. You know to, to build on this, a lot of the, the audience, you know, on the show today is, you know, starting out, they were starting to building, you know, we don't already have, you know, this sustainable sure. company. And one of the nice things about culture is it's really easy to do at a small schedule. So for instance, if, if I have literally, if I'm a B&B, I've got five units, I can create an amazing culture easier than Target can create that amazing culture. So lean into what you're small, lean into what you can do. Amazing culture, know your guest, get the guest information. So you can start having that one-on-one communication. If you can do that, that means you're going to be able to scale. But if you wait till you scale and then you say, oh, you know what? We never bothered to do culture. You're not going to get it at all because you've already built something on a shaky. Right. Yeah. 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 It's not something you can force. Um, the conference I was at last last week, they talked a lot about authenticity in marketing, and and I think I think it's an overused word um, because a lot of times people are trying to look at it as how how do I create authenticity, and it's right. not something yeah. you can create, right? Yeah. It's something yeah. that is. So I think when you start to think about what are your values, what do you stand for, what is your culture, those are really important inception questions at the very beginning of your business. It has to be true, right? You can't say, I stand for this, but personally, I don't, right? Whoever mm-hmm. the leader is, the, you know, the, the owner, the manager, whatever of this organization, this has to be a reflection of what they truly feel. You you can't fake culture, right? You can't yeah. be one thing and say you're something else because it will, it will never work. It has to be a reflection of who you are as a leadership team. And it has to go down to every level of your organization, especially the hiring process. Because if you know what your culture is, the people, the team you select need to be people that naturally, innately match that culture, right? You can't say, we're going to be friendly and then hire Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, right? It's not going to work, right? And we've all met those people in the interview process. They may be the best accountant or bookkeeper in the world, but they've just got a negative attitude. If you're about positivity and, and, and welcoming and hospitality, you can't hire those people in your organization because it will erode your culture. So you starting from hiring and then you've got to really focus on training. And the most important thing you can do, and you guys touched on this, is always be talking about it, looking at things like reviews, yeah. looking for opportunities to improve 
looking at celebrating the wins of where we did reflect our culture, but also talking about and analyzing the places, the opportunities where we missed on our culture and where there's opportunity to grow. The best organizations in the world across every industry are the ones where they have a unified scorecard of some kind, where they have, we know what our purpose is. Everyone in the whole team knows our purpose. Everyone knows where we are on our way towards that North Star, whatever it is. And we can keep score along the, the way. We've got to know whether we're winning or losing, right? And if if you have a universal scorecard of some kind that looks at specific key performance metrics that matter to you, that might be review scores, that might be occupancy. That might, there's a lot of things that could be. You need to decide for your organization what makes the most sense. And it needs to reflect your culture. But then have that scorecard and talk about it every single day. How are we measuring up to our objectives related to our North Star? That's how you build culture. Yeah, absolutely. I've spent a lot of time um, thinking and learning about culture in the last few months since I started my job at, at Casago. And a lot of what you said, um, Stuart, sounds like it could, it could have come out of Steve's mouth, <laughs> almost identical, <laughs> but yep. um, really learning the difference between values and principles. And one of the exercises that we did that I thought was really interesting related to values was your personal value, you can have personal values and you can have business values and they yep. don't necessarily have to be the same, but they can never be in conflict. So right. if one of my personal values is honesty, but one of my business values is transparency, I might, as a my personal values, I having my whole life transparent <laughs> isn't necessarily what I want, but for the business it is. And those, those values are, they're not in conflict at all. And um, I think when you align your staff around this, you know, you you personally might have different values with other staff members, but if you you all still have to be able to have values that, that they're not in conflict and they actually complement each other. Um, and I, th- I think your point of you know it's not it's not what you inspect, it's what's or it's not what you expect, it's what you inspect. It's kind of the same mentality of when you talk about things, your focus goes with where the attention is. And you know, we have our our orange credo that we talk about our culture on a, a five minute standing call every day that we talk about one part of it and how it related to something that happened that day in the business. And when you start getting people talking about culture, all of a sudden it just it really it becomes viral and and it's it's bigger than the leader. It's bigger than your own brand. It's bigger than the company. It becomes your um, internal communication and, and understanding of each other and, and the business. Yeah. So let's let's look at um, you've built the foundation, you've started your business, you're, you know, you have the 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 premise of your brand, you know what your your audience is looking for. Start talking about the actual marketing assets that that people need to to think about. I think one area that Alex and I have noticed, um, and we've been uh, not proponents or against or you know for, but the we are not Airbnb subject. And what we've noticed was a lot of people. Um, were again, they were putting their listings on Airbnb and that became their PMS, that became their website, that became their brand. We've even talked to people that have been doing all their SEO and SEM sending to their listing on Airbnb. So they're 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 building up someone else's brand. So they're spending time, money, and their own assets to build up some somebody else's brand. So I think that it's important for people to understand like what are the assets that they need to make sure that they're mindful of and that they own and take care of and protect. I think you you have to. And I don't want to say own the customer because I feel that sounds you know uh, too aggressive. But you do have to have that one-on-one connection. It, it always goes back to like, for instance, on Facebook. You know, if you're on Facebook, you are the product. 
you know, you, they're not selling you something. You are what they're selling to the advertisers. And it's, it's no different than for Airbnb. They have the products on there. It's Airbnb's customer. You have to, as a new hotelier or vacation rental manager, you have to own your guest. You have to have that direct connection. And then from there, I think you build out the tech stack that you can actually manage. Don't necessarily worry about the latest, you know, AI enabled personalization strategies if you don't have your emails set up. Don't worry about a, an advanced you know, campaign this or personalization that if you don't have a basic PPC strategy or a basic meta search strategy. All that, so you got to do the basics first and then start scaling from there. Because like Sort mentioned before, if you're just constantly thinking of all this stuff that you're not going to get done, you're not going to do any of it right. right. If you're a, a small property and you do a phenomenal job with just email and communicating directly to your guests, you're going to do so much better than a small property that's just trying to do everything. And then they realize that their confirmation email is three years out of date. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree 100%, Pete. And, and, and I think, you know, I would start by saying the most important marketing you can do is focusing on the experience, right? If you have a great, unbelievable experience, then you're going to get business. The first person will come along at some point and they will tell all their friends and then their friends will come. It's a slow way to build a business but you can do it with great customer experience, right? If you have terrible customer experience, all the advertising and marketing you do in the world is not going to work out long-term, mm-hmm. right? You're gonna, your brand is going to go downhill quickly if you don't have. So, so the first thing you do from a marketing perspective is make sure you have a great, great experience. Once you've done that, there's, there's two sides to this. One is I would consider more farming and one is hunting, right? You can go out and find the demand that's there and using Airbnbs and where there's already audiences. And you you should probably start there because in all honesty, it's cheaper to do that to begin with and it's quicker turnaround. So if I go and put my listings on Airbnb or on an OTA or, or some third party that already has people coming, I'm going to get business. Now that comes at a cost, Right. One, I don't really own the customer in, in the terms that Pete used, which means I don't have that direct relationship. Two, it's going to cost me a little bit more. There's certainly the OTA tax in in, in a lot of cases. Um, and the, the, the bigger risk is long-term, when there is a downturn and everyone's only hunting and that number of things you can hunt reduces, you're in a lot of trouble because now you're going to compete and you the only opportunity you have to reach an audience is through a third party. So I think it's good to start there. It's it's a cheap, effective way in terms of not having a lot of capital expense. So it's certainly a place small businesses should start. I think it's an easy way to get your business up and running. But while you're doing that, as your business grows, you have to invest significantly in farming, in building assets that you own, that you control. Because you've got to remember, if you build your house on somewhere like Airbnb, that's leased land. They can change things at any point and you have no control over it. So your, your pipeline could could die tomorrow. So if we farm on our own land, that means building a, a kick butt website and booking experience that is on par with any third party. It is building your database of people, right? Making sure you have a real one-to-one relationship with every one of your guests, collecting their emails and their cell phone numbers and their physical addresses and their names. And over time, more information about them. What are their interests? When do they travel? What am I? Who are they traveling with? All that stuff. So, so certainly focus on that that data, and then and then use platforms like a Mailchimp or a Constant Contact initially, very low cost, 
to start communicating with them in a, in a, a meaningful way. But I think that's that's the order you do it. You, you probably start with the you know with the third party stuff because it's quick and cheap and it, relatively in terms of upfront, and then you start to farm by creating the, these things that are going to pay dividends. When we saw the pandemic hit, the, the brands that did well were the ones that invested in farming way before the pandemic hit. The ones that had their infrastructure, they had a booking engine, they had a, an audience, um, they had relationships with people. Those are the folks that did okay. The folks that were relying only on third parties, they're the ones that, that, that to Pete's point, aren't in business anymore. So I always say the number one new business strategy for any property has got to be the OTAs. It's a phenomenal bit new business strategy. But if that person comes to the OTA the second time, then you failed. Yeah. Use, use that platform. It's so phenomenal. I mean, you can get people that don't even know about your property or your brand. You get them in the door and then you've got to make that direct connection and you're going to woo them all the way to the point where now they're your rabid fans and they'd be crazy to go through an OTA to book with you again. Yeah. Yeah. Third parties are the best source of new business, hands down. They can do it quicker, cheaper, more effectively than you can do it on your own, especially if you're a small brand. But your best source of repeat business should be your own assets, the things that you've done to nurture those relationships. 100% agree. Yeah. And, and I think, unfortunately, with what's happened over the last few years, just the 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 global vacation rental short term rental community is is somewhat guilty of um, falling into the trap of what Airbnb created that it it was this amazing stream of new reservations but yeah you know, I mean they really have become the Kleenex the the main brand that's associated you don't say, you hear people say about hotels that I I stayed at a um, Travelocity last night or you know I mean like they don't they don't use the OTAs as the name of the product um, and so. To Stuart and Pete's points, that when you get those guests, it is 100% your responsibility to bring them back in the way that you want to be um, portrayed and using your language and your communication to them and build that relationship. And, you know, if it, we're very much in a uh, repeat business market here in Myrtle Beach, and those repeat guests are everything. I mean, you, you don't have to keep continuously going out and advertising if you're building up a really good base of repeat guests. So well, that's that's certainly important. Well, I mean, think about it this way, Alex. If, if let's say you have a single oceanfront condo, you need fifty-two customers. That's mm -hmm. it. You know, if you build that amazing thing, you don't need a thousand true fans. You need literally fifty-two people who want to book a week, and you find those yeah. people, and you make sure that when they're ready to book again, they're coming right to you. Yeah, yeah. And if you find fifty-three, then you can jack the rate. That's great because then it's going. Yeah. To, that's <laughs> about yeah. really put the nail screws to them. Yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah. Pete and I used to do a podcast together, and one of the things he he used to say a lot. I'm going to take full credit for it, though. Pete is your, <laughs> no your 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 best next customer is your current customer, right? So you yeah. should be doing everything you can when someone has booked a vacation with you and is staying with you to collect their information and then try to get them to stay again. Now, your next best customer after that one is their friends and family. Right. Mm -hmm. And so because people tend to huddle in tribes, they tend to have people that similar socioeconomically, similar interests, values, geography. So your best next customer after your existing customer is their friends and family. And so the best savvy marketers, what they'll do is they'll turn their customers into their secret sales force. They'll turn them into advocates. So if you can build a relationship with your, your existing customers, then you can earn the right to ask them to refer your business to their friends and family. You can leverage their social networks to
to to build your owned assets. And that's that's when you create a flywheel, which is unstoppable, and you can start to scale your business. Mm-hmm. So look looking at that marketing flywheel, I know you guys also and in, in, in Stuart in your previous role and Pete in your current role, you always talk about uh, testing and how you can make sure that you're you're always 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 be testing, always be looking at your website, your OTA information, your emails. Um, tell the audience a little bit about your perspective on testing and why that's so important. Well, I mean, you said ABT, always be testing. And it, <laughs> right, you gave it away. <laughs> <laughs> you gave it away. But, but it's, it's true because you spent so much money getting someone to your website or getting someone aware of your brand. Yeah. And when you get them to your website or wherever your conversion metric is, you want to make sure that's the best mousetrap you can possibly have. Even if you look at your homepage or your booking engine and you say, I can improve my conversion rate by a tenth of a percent with this one test. You know, maybe I move the position of the book now button. Maybe I show a book now button and a learn more. Whatever that test might be, they can be very simple and very easy to implement. But you're making a tenth of a percent improvement here, a tenth over here, a tenth over here. And you get to the point where you've optimized your website and you basically continue to create a brand new website every time someone visits. And now you're optimized that conversion funnel and your conversion rate is the envy of all your competitors. You have to do that because you spent too much money to not do it. Yeah. So the way I look at it, 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 people that ask should I invest in testing is, well, if I told you, 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 I, I would increase your marketing budget by 10%. Would you do it? And everyone's like, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, if I can make my existing marketing budget 10% more efficient, I'm essentially doing the same thing, right? And it doesn't take a lot of iterative compound improvements to get to a 10% improvement on something like conversion rate of email signups or bookings. And so having that mindset that we can always be better tomorrow, right? Whatever we, however great we were today, we can be better tomorrow. It, it's the mentality of, it's not that I'm ever dissatisfied, but I'm never satisfied. I always want more. I'll celebrate this win, and then I want the next thing because I think it's better. And so adopting that always be testing mindset um, just says I'm never going to settle. I'm never going to assume that what I have is the best it can be. And so you got to you know look at it across your entire business, not just your website. Like How can I test other things? Um, and how can I get input from my customers and from my team to validate a hypothesis. So go go Google the scientific method, right? Go look at what that is. It's basically setting a hypothesis, devising a test, which will prove or disprove that. And then, and then you iterate on it, right? You run the experiment and you can, you can prove. It's a very simple um, approach that will dramatically improve your business over the long-term. And again, we need to think cathedral thinking, long-term thinking. If I can make a 1% iterative compound improvement on my business on my website conversion every week every month every year over the next 10 years that's massive that's transformative and so you have to allocate time energy and money to this this approach um and say i'm never going to be satisfied i i want to do better tomorrow and i want to um look at ways i can learn from my customers because that's one of the most underutilized opportunities, I think, for most businesses, especially in the hospitality industry, is understanding what my customers like, what they don't like, and what they'd like to see me improve in the future. Right? You should be asking that through surveys. When when you see them at check-in, if you still do in-person check-ins, 
you should be talking to your customers. It should be a two-way conversation, not a one-way conversation, because learning from them about the things they like, they don't like, and that they would like to see give you the platform from which to test, right? Now I can start to implement new operations, new ideas, new initiatives, new new things that differentiate my business because my customer is going to be the one that's real-time giving me feedback on, on the product and how it's doing. So it's it's part of your part of your culture should be always looking to improve. So we always say that we could talk about this forever, and I think we need to have you guys back on the show on um, Alex <laughs> and Andy to talk about this. But thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for being part of this great um, session that we put on for Rent Responsibly. Thank you, Rent Responsibly, for hosting this a day of incredible knowledge for people starting out or people who have been in the industry for a long time. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for attending this session. I hope you're feeling inspired and looking forward to implementing some new ideas that were shared on this session. Thanks so much, everyone, for presenting in this session. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody. Bye.